Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer with you on Oilers Now. It is a game night. The Edmonton Oilers, the reigning Stanley Cup champs, the St. Louis Blues. Here at Rogers Place, there's still some tickets available. Visit EdmontonOilers.com for more information. Guests on the show receive certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Now, last night they had a cure cancer event at Roos Chris, and it's that time of the year as we're closing in on Christmas. So if you need uh, maybe a great place to do a staff Christmas party, I highly recommend Alberta's own Roos Chris Steakhouse. 99.90 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie and Taylor that Oilers now sent you. Without further ado, we are joined by our regular Wednesday contributor to the show, Brian Lawton from the NHL Network. Hello, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. How are you? Good. I'm going to throw a couple curveballs at you here from the get-go. I mean, you've done a great job in terms of, uh, you know, providing us some perspective on numerous different topics. But I want to talk a bit about Brian Lawton. And I want to talk about a couple of guys uh, that you came across the passive over the years. Uh, going back to your, your, your stint in Minnesota uh, with Edmonton Area Connections. So I'm going to drop a couple names. Of course, you played, uh, Manny Viveros played a bit with you. Um, Mike Berger. Do you remember him, the defenseman? A right shot defenseman, I do. Kind of had a, a scruffy. I could see his face. He was a good guy. I liked him. I played I against. I played against Mike and uh, and Manny growing up uh, when I was playing for the Strathcona Warriors. We used to lose to both of them. Mike was out in Fort Saskatchewan. Manny was in St. Albert. What about uh, now? Were you were you already gone when they brought in Wally Schreiber that year at the end of the uh, Olympics after the Olympics in eighty seven eighty eight? No, I was still there. They brought in Wally Wally and Mark Habscheid. Yeah. Another, uh, reference to the Edmonton area, at least the Oilers. Uh, they were great guys. They were big stars at that time coming off of, Wally was, coming off the Canadian Olympic team. Uh, Mark was in town last night, actually. The Prince Albert Raiders pounded uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings 6-3. Oil Kings were 10-0-2 in their 12 previous games before that, so a bit of an upset last night. Prince Albert, as you know, Brian, had won the uh, WHL championship the year before. Um, speaking of Prince Albert... One of your first high-profile clients, if I'm not mistaken, was Mike Medano. How yes, that, Mike how... was, of course, a, a big star back then. Mike was also, Mike and I are five years apart. Yep. And he was in Minnesota briefly, but didn't play that year after he was drafted when I was still there. So let me ask you this. Do you think that that, I mean, you played right away. And Mike went back to junior, and they changed uh, the second assist rule in the WHL because Mike had uh, some very favorable uh, uh, off-ice officials in Prince Albert that gave him second assist for plays where he wasn't even on the ice. You can tell him I said that. I'm just kidding. That's, 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 that's WHL <laughs> mythology. But, uh, you know, Mike did return. People forget that, that he returned to junior for another year uh, as, exactly. the, as the number one overall pick. and. 
you know, I'm, I look at a guy like Jack Hughes. I was watching him last night. He got corked again last night, but, you know, got up and could take it. I mean, I, I do you think maybe kids today are better – there, there's there's way more information out there and better schooled to be able to handle the NHL rigors. And part two, the style of game is different that allows guys to make more of an immediate impact. Uh, yes, I do believe the style of game is different, and I do believe that teams do a better job with young players. I do believe that young players have a better understanding of what it's like to go to the NHL, too. There's more collaboration between players, you got them training together in the summer, skating together. It really wasn't that way, certainly not when I was selected first overall. I still don't think it was much that way when, say, Mike Madonna was. Um, Joe Sackick is another guy that people forget went back to junior. He really made the Quebec Nordiques his first year, but he wanted to go back to junior. So uh, in hindsight, when I look at a guy like Jack Hughes, because of where he's at physically, I believe he would have been better served to play one more year somewhere else than the NHL. I really do. I still think he's doing terrific. I think he's going to do great. But I think that one year in between, much like for Mike Madonna, would have been amazing for him. What kind of guys, Mike? We've had him on the show before. I know he's a fan of Connor McDavid. What type of guy is he? Uh, Mike is a great guy. He connects well with people. He's thrilled to be working with the Minnesota Wild now. More in a business capacity. That's what he was originally recruited by them to do. It ended up, you know, being a little bit more hockey ops uh, right off the bat here. Obviously, with them terminating their general manager, Mike sat in in a variety of the meetings that Craig Leopold and Matt Maka, the president of the club, held with individual candidates <laughs> and offered his advice, his Hall of Fame career advice, and I think that the Wild found it incredibly helpful. Um, Mike and I have been friends for a long time. Originally, you know, he wanted to get his feet wet with the Minnesota Wild, just helping out on that business side. Um, but I think things have accelerated a little bit. I know eventually he wants to work on the hockey upside, and I, I see him as a future president of a team. All right, so that's an interesting one for there because you represented him and you were in as one of the candidates, one of the finalists for that position. Was he in that interview or did he step away from that? I, I would find that interesting. He was not in that interview. Yeah. Um, Billy Guerin, uh, a, a number of the players, Mike and I discussed it, a number of the players were good friends of his right former teammates you name it it was a tough spot for him to be in um ultimately him and i just talked about it and he got all the information that i prepared for the club ahead of time and reviewed it and communicated with me on what he thought about that but he was not in the final interview that i was in with uh, craig leopold and that makeup you'll find this interesting um we, we, as you know, are not allowed to get autographs for uh, players uh, in our roles in media. And uh, so I uh, know Craig Lupel quite well. That's Joffrey's dad. And Joffrey idolized Mike Badano. This was at the height of the sort of the Edmonton-Dallas rivalry in the late 1990s before Joff had gone off to play for the Medicine Hat Tigers. And so the way you had to broker those sort of things, if you wanted something like that done, was you whoever was sort of the 
the guy that was assigned to the visiting dressing room is you coordinated something through him. So he is one of the few players that I've actually had somebody get somebody signed uh, something for. And that's because Medano had that sort of panache amongst, I mean, there's, you know, Joffrey was an Edmonton, you know, sort of an Edmonton area product. And that's the sort of cachet that Medano had a, as a player around the league. And, you know, throughout the, the, you know, the 1990s, I mean, he was a star player and he had, you know, there was a way he played on the ice that, a lot of people really liked. I mean, he. Do you, is, do you think you could say to us, is it too much of a reach to say that Connor? I mean, Connor's on a little bit different level because he's a generational player, but there are some similarities in style between those two players. Uh, a lot of times when I'm watching Connor, I think he looks like Mike in some ways, or Mike looked like him. Doesn't yeah. matter how you say it, you get the point. They just both have that flair that they look like and they both were absolutely flying down the ice. One unique thing to Mike, and I haven't had the chance to really test this out, but when Mike skated, he was always so high on his blades. He was a very quiet skater, and yet he was just flying. It's like he floated above the ice. He had that unique ability. His glide was exceptional. I know Connor's glide is exceptional, but I haven't had the chance to be in a quiet rink and listen to him actually skate. I would imagine it is very, very similar. Um, I'm almost positive because I really truly felt that Mike was a guy that people misjudged speed-wise, very much like Connor, because hearing is a big part of defending. Hmm. And you don't hear these guys barreling down the ice. It's like they're barely even making any noise. It's really unique. Um, It's different. And I think it's a weapon, and it's certainly something that when I watch Connor, I I don't think of really any other player that skated like him other than Mike Madonna. From the NHL Network, former general manager of the NHL, we are joined by Brian Lott and Bob Stoffer with you live at Rogers Place. So, Brian, let's talk about another. You were, you know, you headed up Octagon Hockey for another year, uh, for a number of years, and there's an Octagon client that played for Prince Albert that I think hockey people knew about, but maybe not all the fans around the league uh, known about, maybe really until sort of this fall when he's been every bit as good as Connor McDavid so far this season, and that's Leon Dreisaitl. I mean, you have you have you still have connections uh, throughout that uh, agency. Are, are people even in that agency a little bit surprised at how good of a skater he's become? And, and how dynamic of a player and how elite of a finisher he has become. I don't know if I'd... Uh, in some ways, I might say they're surprised by the number of goals that Leon's created, but in terms of the number of points that he's generating, everything that's come from that agency, and I do talk to those guys quite frequently. They're good friends. I hired the majority of the people that are still there. Um there is a younger group of, of guys in there now that are doing an awesome job as well. But Leon's name comes up frequently. I just spoke to him the other day about uh, another client of theirs, European, Capococco, and what was going on with him in New York because I happened to be at a game. And I'll just give those guys various reports right? like I do on Leon. And the fact of the matter is that I think the goals might surprise those guys a little bit, but not the level that he's played at he's got that you know coaching family background he takes his job very serious um 
he can get a little angry when things aren't going well. That's his personality, according to them. He wants to do well. He's got great pride in himself. And, um, you know, the, the, the probably the most unique story I ever heard about them was when Connor was doing his deal. You know, there was a lot of discussion because he signed before Dreisaitl that how they would be tied together. And uh, I think there might even been some talk about, you know, whatever Connor gets is what Leon is going to get minus X. And the fact that it was higher um, was probably something that I don't necessarily think Leon wanted or, or at least the agents wanted. I think that they wanted, you know, to allow the organization to make sure that they could field other quality players around him, understanding how a salary cap works. So, you know, part of that is just my conjecture with the discussions, but I've always found that interesting. Well, let's take it one step further because Peter Shirelli, and he has received a fair amount of criticism uh, throughout hockey circles and in this market, but Peter was, uh, he got lit up after Leon got that eight-year deal at $8.5 million per. It ain't looking so bad right now, is it, Brian? It, you know what? It, it's all relative. That deal is fantastic for Edmonton now. And it might have felt that way for Leon at the time. Um, I think it was probably, to be fair, more universally felt that. The question that I always had was, when was the discussion with Connor in terms of money? Because these kids are making so much money now. It, it, to some degree, it doesn't matter. To some degree, you could be the highest paid player and do really well and be more like a player like Marcel Dion, who was very highly paid and did a lot of incredible things in the league, just never won in the end. Right. Or you could be maybe not the highest paid player, but win a bunch of championships and be Wayne Gretzky for the rest of your life. I've always looked at Connor with that type of potential yep. to literally be up there with Wayne. So that was the part I always kind of wondered how that discussion went. Cause now you're talking about a player's legacy and in a funny way, Bob, it comes back that if you are anywhere near Wayne Gretzky, everybody knows how well Wayne Gretzky does in life. He deserves it. Um, but he's continued to profit off the game because he deserves it. I want to be clear on that for a very, very long time. And that was the question that I, I always wondered, was that, was that meeting, did that meeting ever really take place? Because $12.5 million for Connor at the time, I think Jonathan and Patrick were making ten and a half. They had won Stanley Cups. They were the top of the league. And I understand that Connor should have been the highest paid player, but to me that meant ten million five hundred thousand and one dollar. So oh, so you think it's he, a big he, difference. So you were surprised he got because there were people that said he should have gotten you know, he should have gotten twenty percent of the cap over thirteen million. That's the discussion we're having, though, is what's more important to a player, particularly yeah. a person like Connor, who there's nothing greedy about Connor McDavid. I know he makes a ton of money, and I know people can look at him and say that. That's just not him, and I barely uh, know him. But just from everybody that yeah. is around him and what I hear, that's not his persona. He wants to be – he's got a, he's got a lot of Sidney Crosby in him. Let me ask – about money? 
All right. Uh, I'm going to put you on a spot here. I'm going to play a hypothetical game. Uh, Taylor Hall. Okay. And again, New Jersey's in the driver's seat to get this thing done with Taylor, and they have lots of cap space, and they've involved Taylor in a bunch of moves in the offseason, all those sort of things. But theoretically, if they can't get him signed, I would think that the other 30 teams would all look at it. If you're Edmonton, is there any way you could pay Hall more than what Dreisaitl's making? Um, I think that that is more of the family atmosphere that you have to create with your elite players. I think if you went to Leon and said, hey, look, we got a chance to add an incredible player that, you know, would put our team over the top, but we don't want to ruffle any feathers and pay him more than you. I think Leon Dreisaitl will look at you and say, I could care less. That's, okay. that's a business decision. Just do it. If it makes us better and we could fit it into our situation, then do it. I don't think Leon Dreisaitl would care for a minute. Um, he's not going to crest Connor McDavid, but I do think you're correct in assuming that, you know, Taylor has a chance to be above that 8-5, below 12-5. Well, everybody I, would universally agree that's a, a fair projected range. Well, I mean, if Panarin got 11.6, and, I mean, he's a really dynamic, consistent offensive player, he hasn't had Taylor's injury issues. But, I, I mean, realistically, I think New Jersey can – you know, they could probably go 10 and a half, 11 million bucks, can't they, on, a, on an eight-year deal? You would think that that would be the sort of play to get it done, wouldn't it? Um, I absolutely would think that New Jersey can extend themselves probably beyond, when you add the extra year, and clearly beyond anybody else, I think what, and I'm only guessing, but what Taylor would be looking at is the future. He hasn't had a lot of playoff history, yep. as we know, and... Um, when you get to a certain level money-wise, and I always equate this to one of the Detroit Red Wing teams in the late 90s, early 2000s, where they just traveled around and kicked everybody's rear end in the league. And I was representing Sergei Fedorov at that time. And I had a chance to travel or be on the road a few times when that team was. That was the pinnacle for being a hockey player. It wasn't how much money you made. It was to be on a team that was winning. That's the most enjoyment you can ever have i don't care about private jets or fancy cars or things like that that's really where it's at i would think taylor hall would have some of that as a bigger part of the equation than maybe we see normally because he hasn't been able to experience that he's a guy that can contribute to that type of success brian awesome perspective as always we appreciate your time thanks bob always appreciate doing it all right, that's Brian Lawton from the NHL Network, headed up Octagon's hockey side of the business. Number one pick, 1983. Number one overall pick, 1983 NHL draft. We'll take a timeout. This is Oilers Now. Hi, this is Leon Dreisaitl from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chat. 57 in Edmonton. You can join New West Travel on the Oilers Now winter getaway to sunny Florida. Package includes great lower bowl game tickets against Tampa Bay and Florida. Five nights accommodation plus a welcome reception with yours truly for the Oilers Now winter getaway. Call New West Travel 780-432-7446 or online at newwesttravel.com. You can text us at 630-630 on our Ashley Fine Floors text line. Bob, Club Malibu had the worst watered-down drinks back in the day, not the Thunderdome. 
Another text comes in saying, I wonder if I, uh, it's a wonder I can still hear out of my right ear after standing next to the speaker when the lights came down blasting that song that you opened with back in the day. This text comes in from Stan. It's an interesting perspective. He says, Bob, David Perron, here's a guy with not much speed, not a lot of size, but's made a great career for himself. Meanwhile, we have Stoffer pumping up every guy that's six foot two and over and can skate like the wind. There's more to success, Bob, than speed and height. Just ask JP. That comes to us from Stan. Well, okay. I didn't realize. Uh, apparently today I'm pumping up a lot of guys. Um and Brian uh, says, Bob, with his vast knowledge as a player and in management and as an agent, Brian Lawton is an excellent addition to Oilers now, and he's become one of my uh, must-listen contributors to the program. He's a keeper. Just saying that one comes to us from uh, Brian. There you go. 12.58 off to a global news weather traffic update with uh, – uh, Eileen Bell. I, I found Eileen will find this interesting. I was going through uh, top 10 songs from the 1970s by yeah. year. And the Osmonds had a song in like 1973. And I've never heard of it. And, uh, you know, I used to watch their show. They had, what was it, the Osmond Family? What, what do they call that show? Donnie by? and Marie. Oh, it was called Donnie and Marie? Yeah. He's a little bit country. She's a little bit rock and roll. Is that how so it kinda... the other way around? But yeah. Oh, he was rock and roll, and she was country. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I did not know that the Osmond Brothers had a top ten song one year. Oh my gosh, they had number one songs with "One Bad Apple," "Down by the Lazy River." They had a lot of a lot of hits. Really? Yeah, and for some reason they just never got recycled when uh, radio stations went to oldies formats. Hard to believe. There you go. <laughs> awesome stuff, Eileen. You're up next, and then uh, we'll have, coming up in hour number two, we're going to bring aboard uh, David Staples from the Cult of Hockey, and we'll hear from Ryan Nugent Hopkins as well as John Shannon. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.